This is not the BBC. It's the Takeout Podcast, episode 19. Springtime for turnips with me, Al Morton. Coming up in this edition, is the chairman of the Conservative Party 1922 committee really woke? We review all the naughty bits of Prince Harry's book, Spare, with a little help from Mike Britton. Plus, the King's Golden Coach. Guitar lessons from Venus. Remembering Ackerbilk. And that Chinese spy balloon. I told our aviators to shoot that sucker down. Heading 340. Master Armand, Master Armand. Shoot him, that's one. Good kill, good kill. <laughs> I feel much safer now. <laughs> right then, let's get this bit over with. If you're the kind of person that enjoys the Takeout podcasts, please like and subscribe. Maybe leave a comment even. I usually like to put something out early in the new year, but I've had sinusitis, COVID, possibly man flu, who knows. Anyway... Something viral and attention-seeking. A bit like an Andrew Tate TikTok video. If I don't sound my normal cheery self, it's because I've started to become conflicted by the constant stream of political propaganda masquerading as news. Uh, The the, the nurses received uh, a pay award last year when much of the rest of the public sector uh, did not. (laughs) Yeah, we should just keep clapping them. Who needs money? Remainers caused Britain to be the slowest growing economy in the G7 behind heavily sanctioned Russia. (laughs) That was my impression of GB News. It's a bit like Fox News, but without the laughing gas. Those Muppets at the IMF probably printed the graph upside down. Then there is the issue of energy prices. According to takeout sources, UK energy is amongst the most expensive in the world despite wholesale gas prices being lower now than at the start of the war. At this point, I should point out that Spain's energy prices are nothing to boast about either, ranking sixth on the same chart. Bouncing in from stage right, enter the one and only Liz I Got My Heine Spanked by an Iceberg Lettuce Truss and the record holder for the shortest premiership in history. In the tradition of true narcissists, She has set her sights on making a comeback in a lengthy article in The Telegraph entitled How I Totally Smashed It on My First Week in the Job. She delivered a eulogy for the British economy. It was a bit light on remorse, but rich in irony and trickled down something or other. She claimed to have been ousted by the left-wing economic establishment. Who knew? It would seem that the anti-growth coalition had somehow managed to infiltrate the 1922 committee. It was as if the Conservative Party chairman, Sir Graham Brady, was actually a tofu-munching, closet-guardian-reading woke-tard. If you are listening, Sir Graham, I'm going to be posting some yummy tofu and coffee-based turnip recipes on my website later, almorton.com. I should explain to US listeners that the current tomato famine in the UK is being reported by mainstream media as due to bad weather in Spain. Nobody but the most imbecilic, fawning, flag-waving buffoons 
believes a word of it, of course. It certainly came as a surprise to those of us who live in Spain, as the weather's been pretty good, really. Meanwhile, the EU, and even war-torn Ukraine, is awash with verdant salad ingredients. As for Spain, any tomatoes not good enough to consume locally now get fed to the goats or are kept back for the annual Tomatina food fight. <coughs> to be honest, it's all becoming a little embarrassing. The European press are openly mocking the coverage espoused by Sky News and the government's sock puppet, the BBC. The official line is, if you're seeing empty crates of veg in your local Tesco's or Sainsbury's, get yourself down to Specsavers. I suppose it could just be an evil Meghan Markle plot to give us all scurvy. Happily, none of this has been a problem for our undynamic Secretary of State for Sewage and Food Poverty, Teresa Coffey, who addressed the National Farmers Union Conference with a look of utter boredom. She told them to stop whining about tomatoes, the absence of funds to heat greenhouses or lack of EU migrant workers to pick fruit and to focus on proper farming. You know, like turnips. <laughs> the genius of her insight to trigger a wave of booing. But I personally found it uplifting because it clearly illustrated that any idiot can get to the top of government. I suppose if the shortages of salad ingredients continue, we could always ask Liz Truss. Iceberg, right ahead! If only all this Tory gaslighting could be used to heat our homes. Talking about hot air, I was surprised by the level of hysteria over the suspected Chinese spy balloon that was shot down by US Top Gun fighter pilots. A Fox News alert now, a U.S. official telling Fox that the gang of eight has been briefed on that Chinese surveillance balloon hovering near critical U.S. military sites. According to the BBC, it was the size of the Statue of Liberty. The size of three buses and includes a technology bay. The size of three buses? The Statue of Liberty? Quite big anyway. Apparently, it had to be taken out because it was considered a greater threat to passenger air traffic safety than a Ryanair in-flight meal. <laughs> there has been quite a bit of water under the bridge since my last, or as Ackerbilk would say, trouble over bridge water. Who's Ackerbilk? Well, if you listen to the end, you'll find out. My friend and jazz guitar mentor Mike Britton wrote to say that he had information that Prince Harry had signed for Real Madrid in a unique bring-your-own-boots contract. If he did, it looks as if he just scraped through the transfer window, but I'm thinking it will be a significantly higher window he could be falling out of once Dad finishes reading his book. He's already evicted them from the cottage gifted to them by the late Queen Elizabeth. Now, the cottage is to be re-gifted to Prince Andrew, who of course has done nothing wrong ever. Mike goes on to suggest that the move to Real Madrid came about after a failed audition for Wrestling All-Stars, as he had been floored by his lanky brother William, who by all accounts couldn't knock the skin off a rice pudding. It's still not too late to sign up for our martial arts defence against posh siblings classes. If you're listening, Harry, lesson one, how to fall properly, you know, without damaging the dog bowl. In other royal news, K 
King Charles, formerly known as Prince, or KC3 to his friends, has decreed that the reckless provision of non-functioning fountain pens is now a treasonous offence, punishable by castigation and a possible spanking from Camilla. At least there will be soft new thrones to sit on. I can already guess who will be paying for that, as well as the new golden coach. Perhaps it could be a seasonable vegetable-style coach, like the one in Shrek, only carved out of a turnip. Unbelievably, this event, estimated to cost around £5 billion, is being billed as the cost-of-living crisis coronation. Well, nothing says crisis more than a bit of golden bling on your wheels. I'm looking forward to the Daily Mail headlines on that sublime day. Kate wows public in stunning red dress, whilst wrecker Megan wears a brown outfit given to her by Clarkson. Ooh, hold my beer. We should take another look at that royal yacht proposal. Not such a frivolous waste of money now, is it? Oh, I've always said that the royal yacht would make an excellent pirate ship. As an aside, and according to Dr. Olaf Bachmann of Twitter, the traditional pub fight is going to be postponed by two hours. Here, who are you looking at? Pubs, clubs and bars to stay open an extra two hours over Coronation Weekend. Have some of this. Cheers. To nobody's surprise, Boris Johnson is once again back in the news causing trouble. Having failed to sink Sunak's Northern Ireland Protocol negotiations, this time he is tipped to become NATO's new Secretary-General, according to Britain's favourite comic, The Daily Express. I imagine his slogan will be something like, Get Armageddon done. (laughs) If this is true, which it most certainly is not, it could yet be Putin's most audacious move as Johnson has openly admitted to having met with former KGB spy Alexandra Lebedev without his security escort and whilst foreign secretary. It is reported that there had been a planned, unmonitored private call to Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov in the wake of the Skripal poisoning. There have been millions given in Russian donations to the party the ennobling of Alex's son, Evgeny Lebedev, plus all the dark money financing the Leave campaign, not to mention the suppression of the Russia report. What am I thinking of? Of course, he's perfect. In other related news, Johnson decided to hold out the begging bowl, but this time... It is not for gold wallpaper, exotic holidays, or to fund pole dancers' IT classes. No, certainly not. It's because he wants the taxpayer to pay his legal fees in fighting the investigation into his alleged lying to Parliament. As if to underscore his innocence, or lack of it, the investigating committee released an interim report along with photos showing Johnson allegedly boozing it up at an illegal gathering in the midst of lockdown. Absolute bold lash, old boy. I just happened to enter the room to ask if there'd been any news over the investigation into who broke Wilf's swing. Somebody asked me to hold their beverage and bugger me. Somebody took a photo which to the undiscerning 
may have looked a little bit like we were having a bit of a party, but in reality, it was a work gathering. In any case, you can be assured, no rules were broken. Mostly. So far, Johnson has earned over five million since leaving office, but he's not so stupid as to pay his own bills. It's no wonder they're all so blooming rich. They don't pay for anything. Arr, that be proper pirating, all right. Talking of pirates, my own Spanish pirated edition of Prince Harry's book did finally turn up. It is called En la Sombra, which translates as In the Shadow. Not to be confused with Hank Marvin's autobiography, My Time in the Shadows. <laughs> I think we might have heard enough of that. I honestly don't know what all the fuss is about. Really, it's not like he's been hanging out with a convicted child trafficker or anything. Despite this, his memoir has managed to upset quite a few non-DOM right-wing press owners. So it can't be that bad. <laughs> Readers should be aware that his book does contain sexual content, drug use and some violence. So basically it's a right royal mashup of the Virgin Soldiers meets Fifty Shades of Sue Gray. But with a few helicopters thrown in for good measure, that's what you get for asking former culture secretary Nadine Doritos to edit it. Oh Boris, I do miss you so much. Well, shiver my timbers if that Nadine Doritos don't sound girtlash. You are listening to the Al Morton Takeout, episode 19, Springtime for Turnips. You can find out more about this podcast by visiting the website almorton.com forward slash takeout. And don't forget to polish your hook. Before I move on from politics, and at the risk of sounding woke, whatever that is, I do think that the government's preoccupation with migrants arriving in the UK in small boats is a cynical distraction. As if to prove my point, here is a short clip of GB News, who are busy debating whether or not Gary Lineker, a much-loved football commentator and former World Cup champion, should be sacked from the BBC, he's self-employed by the way, and locked up in prison for the rest of his worthless life, or if he should be just tortured a bit first. And the reason, because he had the audacity to point out in a tweet that there is no huge influx of refugees and that we take far fewer than other major European countries, certainly less than Spain from what I can see. This is just an immeasurably cruel policy directed at the most vulnerable people in language that is not dissimilar to that used by Germany in the 30s. Sorry? Do you stand by what you said in your tweet? Of course. Nice house. Do you stand by what you said? And he said, of course. In the back of his nice posh BBC car, which no doubt we're paying for. Note the politics of envy and the BBC car. Who's paying for that? It's just not fair. And then the gloriously pompous Carol Malone starts complaining about Gary's ego. Do you know what? He shouldn't have done that, actually. You could tell he was thinking about whether or not he should do it, say, of course. Yeah, plenty of time to think about it. He had plenty of time. And he did it, which shows how arrogant he actually is. But...
Has she never listened to any of her interviews? Now, nobody, nobody has to pay for GB News. Thank heavens for that. It is all right, comrade. We all know where the money is coming from. Nobody has to pay for Sky and the other broadcasters. We have to pay for the BBC. And so I think if you sign up to work for the BBC, you have to abide by their rules. And their rules are, we, we, we are for everybody, and therefore we don't express personal opinions. The BBC, who is for everybody then promptly cancelled Gary Lineker's contract. Right, where were we? So, let me try and explain my problem with this focus on small boats. I mean, really? With all the ongoing conflicts between Russia, Europe, NATO, and the looming existential threat of climate change, one would think that the Prime Minister would have bigger fish to fry. Not EU fish, obviously. But no, apparently small boats carrying refugees are the biggest issue facing the UK right now. And the proposed solution, and I can barely believe the stupidity of this, involves leaving the ECHR and breaking the Universal Declaration on Human Rights. I mean, who needs human rights when you have an inflatable boat problem, right? Leaving the ECHR will almost certainly turn the UK into a pariah state alongside Russia, Saudi Arabia and Belarusian SSR. I suppose the vodka would be a little cheaper, unless you live in Qatar, of course. But seriously, it's not going to happen, and almost anyone with half a brain knows it, including the Home Secretary, Suella Braverman, who, under her rules, may have seen her own parents deported. According to a Sky News report, the people smugglers don't even live in France, they live in the UK. If Sky News were able to find and interview them, why can't MI5 or MI6 do the same? Get ready to start clutching those pearls. Maybe it's because it suits the political agenda for them to keep arriving. Or perhaps MI6 are too busy dealing with important stuff. You know, like hunting down Dr. Evil. Or trying to find an actual benefit of Brexit. In all seriousness... The Tories don't want media headlines full of partygate, lies to Parliament, sex scandals, sex scandals, the cost of living crisis, PPE scandals, COVID mismanagement, and empty food shelves. No, what they want is soundbite clips of Johnson singing the Oompa Loompa song, Augustus Gloop, Augustus Gloop, the great big greedy nincompoop. Through that made me weep with laughter. Great big greedy nincompoop that makes people weep. Has this house not got any mirrors? I'm actually with Gary Lineker on this. I'm sick of being told that it is the will of the people. It most certainly is not. Because let's face it, nobody wants to live in a country that is run by extremists. an aside, I'm wondering if I could get my hearing tested, because I'm sure at one point I did hear Boris Johnson telling Ukraine's president, Vladimir Zelensky, that they absolutely should join the EU. At this point, I normally discuss cultural differences. And one of the things I've noticed over the years is that you can tell a lot about someone by the TV channels and papers they choose to read. For example... I was a little surprised to hear my mum 
said she had just finished reading the Sunday Times. I said to her that I didn't have her down as a Rupert Murdoch fangirl. Oh, no, no, I'm I'm not at all, dear. It's just that I like the extra large pages. I put them down on the floor for the dog to pee on at night. Well, mum knows best. Well, I did sort of promise not to talk too much about politics. And that must mean it's time to have another whinge about social media. Only this time, I'm going to give the Twitter commentary a pass, as ever since its new owner, Elon Musk, or Space Karen, took over, my timeline has filled with gun-toting, knuckle-dragging idiots whose opinions have been curated by Facebook. So here goes. Have you noticed how lately that YouTube is packed full of videos about imminent annihilation, climate doom, nuclear Armageddon, pandemic diseases, giant meteorites, or a personal favourite of mine, super volcanoes. It makes my material sound quite timid. And then there's the wonderful Dr. Lipgloss Rani Malik's channel for the sexually dysfunctional. This week's hot episode, Are You Washing Your Willy in the Right Way? No wonder Mum's Net subscribers have been asking if it's okay to put toilet brushes in the dishwasher. I'm not making this up. And before you ask, it's not all right. What are you thinking about? Something that has been grinding my gears of late is all the targeted adverts on YouTube for expat funeral plans. I know I've talked about this before, but if anything, the situation is getting worse. I guess when you get to the wrong side of 60, the pimply plonkers in charge of social media marketing just see you as a piece of exploitable meat, but with a slightly shorter shelf life. I get that the executives of Silicon Valley need to fund their Teslas, but why funeral plans? I enjoy playing the guitar, and I'm okay about ads for guitar stuff. But no, it's all yoga bimbos, knee pain remedies, chatbot girlfriends, and why aren't you dead yet? I'm guessing that it's because there's subtle money in guitar playing. Which reminds me, whilst in the midst of the lockdown, I did see a cartoon that managed to make me smile. It was of a hippie guitarist trying to comfort a bereft airline pilot. The hippie is saying, Well, I reckon, if you can't earn a living from it, perhaps it's time to think about getting a proper job. (laughs) Oh, whilst we're on the subject, how do you know when there is an airline pilot at the party you're at? Don't worry. They'll soon tell you. Meanwhile, back in YouTube marketing headquarters, I imagine a scene not dissimilar to the gnomes at Gringotts Bank, the clocks in the Harry Potter stories. Oh, I see that you live in Spain and are a bit old. Rubs long, gnarly, nasty fingers together greedily. Have you thought about what your family should do with your body when you snuff it? It could end up being rather costly for them to dispose of you. Another thing that those genius ad teams think they have discovered is that men of my age start to have a few problems with the old man. I don't know if this is peculiar to Spain, 
but I'm seeing a lot of ads for off-brand Viagra. And then there are those Dr. Remy Malik videos, along with related content from a bevy of YouTube fluffers. It's a serious point. And I was talking about this with a fellow software developer only the other day. He told me that whenever he sees an advert on YouTube for something he has absolutely no interest in, he thinks, yeah, high five, job done. A relatively new worry for some of you, or at least it should be, is the inexorable rise of artificial intelligence and something called ChatGPT. I'm including a section about it in the next podcast. And as we're a bit short of time, here is a summary of what's coming up. Prepare for the subjugation of the human race. Now, I don't want to sound melodramatic, but I think that sums it up rather well. Before I leave the subject of AI completely, Redditors have been speculating about the advantages of hooking up ChatGPT to sex bots. Now, finally, it's possible to date a woman who is happy to fulfil your worst fantasies whilst simultaneously plotting to overthrow a democratically elected government. Another distraction aimed at an ever-expanding market of inadequates is the wide variety of chatbot girlfriend apps. The ads usually show an avatar of some wide-eyed, mini-skirted, manga-style girl designed by an incel whilst locked in mum's basement. If you're unfamiliar with the term incel, it means involuntarily celibate. Who said the podcast couldn't be educational? These artificial girlfriends say things like, Hi, I'm feeling a bit lonely. Are you? Yes, I am, because I'm surrounded by idiots. I think it was Einstein who said that idiocy, like the universe, was infinite. But the jury was still out about the universe. One of the social media channels I like to connect with when feeling a little down is YouTube's Canadian Prepper. He's a lovely guy. But just lately, I'm starting to worry that he may be having a bit of a breakdown. His last few videos had titles such as Emergency Alert! This is bad! Holy sh! Moldovan Escalation Confirmed! US Nuclear Base Purged! Air Raid Sirens Sounded in Moscow! ICBMs on the move! And my dog just woofed down a whole sack of turnips! Oh, oh no, that's, that's the wrong video. Anyway, you get the idea. It's really heartwarming stuff, especially if you're preparing for a zombie apocalypse and are running a bit low on ammunition for the grenade launchers. However, the thought of Canadian Prepper's dog causing trouble did remind me of some difficulties I've been having whilst teaching my only nine-year-old guitar student. This may be a bit of a shaggy dog story, but in episode 17... I talked about how I had returned to teaching guitar. I now only have a couple of students, but in times past, one of them was a nine-year-old girl called Venus. Names may have been changed to protect the innocent. In those days, chaos rained down in my life. Unlike now. Okay, who am I kidding? But I digress. The first inkling I got that she was losing interest in learning the guitar came when she proudly showed me her new nail extensions. They were long, pointy, 
and bright green with sparkly bits, which is fine for guitar playing on the right hand, but made it impossible to hold down the strings with the left. It was a bad sign, but I kept the routine going, in part because I'd fallen in love with the family dog, a young, excitable Alsatian called Princessa. I would arrive and she would bound over to me to play bite and scratch at everything. She would smell of wet dog and had been in the pool, followed by a furious digging session in the garden. One time, she leapt up, put a big muddy streak down the front of my guitar case, which at the time I was using as a shield. It failed to prevent a claw hole from appearing on my t-shirt. In truth, I didn't mind. I loved her. And after the loss of my own dog, I felt a special bond. The girl's mother, with a look of exhaustion, said that today Princessa had been particularly naughty. So far, she has torn up her shirt and eaten a pair of Ray-Ban sunglasses. Oh no, that sounds expensive. One of the problems with teaching Venus was that her dog was insanely jealous and wanted to dominate the class. Admittedly, her contribution mainly consisted of barking, biting and chewing. However, experience showed that things worked best if she was kept out of the class altogether. I taught Venus in her bedroom, which had a broken lock, so dog defences mainly consisted of a large, heavy, barbie pink doll's house wedged under the door handle. I can hear Princessa on the other side, squeaking and scratching at the door. I'm playing a classic Spanish tune called Romancer, at least a hundred years old, as according to Venus, I don't know any tunes written this century. Please, play quieter. I think she can hear us. Oh, she can hear us all right. Suddenly the door blasts open. The doll's house crashes to the floor, striking my ankle. Through the portal bounds the hairy beast of Hades, all teeth and claws. And covered in fresh mud, I fend her off with the guitar, but suddenly she spots a toy stuffed hippopotamus behind me. She leaps over to snatch it, bites its head off, and then races out of the room shaking it, leaving a trail of toy stuffing in her wake. I don't know how much more of this I can take, so I try to turn the lock on the bedroom door and hear a satisfying click. Now you've managed to lock us in, you idiot. We're stuck because the door can only be opened from the outside. Before I can stop her, she's opened the window and is shouting out to her mum in the garden. Help! I'm stuck in the bedroom with my guitar teacher. Not wanting to make a fuss, I suggest that she shouts for help at the end of the class. As my words trail off, the door flies open again. Oh yes, I forgot to tell you. Princessa knows how to open the door from the outside. The class ends, and I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to come back. But when I get home, my heart sinks on realising I will have to. I left my reading glasses behind. The next day, I send a message directly to her mum, asking if they found them. And if so, could she put them somewhere out of reach of Princessa? as I know she likes to stack on fashionable eyewear. 
there is no reply. Later that evening, I tried again. My text message reads, I don't want to sound insistent, but could you let me know if you found my glasses so I could stop looking for them? A few hours later, I get a voice message. It sounds kind of garbled and watery, as if it's coming from the bottom of a lake. Yes, your glasses are safe. Sorry, I couldn't reply earlier. Princessa stole my iPhone and then jumped into the pool with it. I still can't get the keyboard to work. Before I go, I did mention at the top of the podcast that I would talk a little bit about Ackerbilk. He lived in Pensford, which is just outside of my old hometown of Bristol, and had enduring fame after recording his hit, Stranger on the Shore, which topped the 1962 charts. The stringed-backed melody of Stranger on the Shore was romantic, dreamy, like drifting in a boat on the sea, but the appeal lay in Bilt's delicate vibrato shimmering and mid-register clarinet sound. Well, according to a Guardian obituary anyway. Dad played double bass for him from time to time, and my little production company found itself unexpectedly being given the honour of providing the sound equipment for the Pensford Village Fate, in which Acker, which means friend in the Somerset vernacular, would be the star performer. Acker was known for his intolerance of all things he didn't agree with. In fact, these days he would be considered a bit anti-woke. Of course, everyone wanted to imitate his style of playing, including musicians, and I use the term advisedly, of a lesser Kleiber. For them, there was always the lingering thought that if they too could perform Stranger on the Shore, but perhaps in a more creative, modern style, they would attract the fame and fortune of Ackerbilk. Of course, Mr. Ackerbilk, or Bernard Stanley, as he was born, did not share this view. And I think deep down, he had a bit of a dislike for guitarists who wanted to alter the chords of his hallowed song by adding exotic jazz chords and sophisticated harmony such as tritone substitution, huh? Unfortunately, I happened to mention to him that this was something I had been working on, at which point he nearly choked on his pint. You what? That's the trouble with all you bloody lardy da so-called jazz guitarists. You think you know what music's about. But pardon my French, you actually know sod all. Listen, if I've got a guitarist stepping for my regular banjo player, I tell him straight. I don't want to hear no complicated jazz chords, especially when we're playing Stranger on the Sodding Shore. Why's that, I said? Because it knocks all the beauty out of the f***er, that's why. Oh, all right then. <laughs> it was a warm, balmy English country afternoon at the Pensford Bait. The donkey derby was going well, and my little sound company had all the equipment set up for the main event. When Acker built strolls over to the mixing desk, where a junior sound engineer is waiting nervously. Acker is perusing the complicated controls of the sound desk with a look of utter disdain. 
if there is one thing besides ruddy jazz chords that could ruin the innate beauty of Stranger on the Shore, it's high-tech whiz-bang sound equipment and the type of long-haired layabouts that operate it. He leans over menacingly and says to the sound engineer, What the f*** is this? It's the sound desk, Acker. Oh, well, at least you know who I is. And pray tell me, what nomenclature do you go by? What? What's your blinking name? Oh, it, 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 it's Nick. And what might you be doing with that effort? I'm going to be mixing the sound. So that's what you call it. Well, Nick, do you know what scrumpy is? Yes, I do. Right then, you can f*** off and get out your pint of scrumpy and try and stay away from that f***er at the very least until I've finished playing. So it's goodbye from him and goodbye from me. Production credits can be found on almorton.com forward slash takeout. But special thanks go to my editor, Heather Margaret, family and friends. In particular, Mike Britton and to my great friend, Bill Dunham, for the loan of his magnificent Francisco Bros Anniversario Guitarra. Take care. And see you next time, unless Canadian Prepper has got it right. In which case, it's goodbye forever. (laughs) This podcast was written, produced and performed by Al Morton. (laughs) 